Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Still He is Brian B. Rob Rob from MassLive.com. He is Jay King, El Nino from The Athletic. I am Sam Jam Packard, and together we are Still Potable coming to you on a Sunday morning live on the CLNS YouTube brought to you by FanDuel. We are still Potable, like I said, the best Celtics podcast. And if you want daily Celtics content ad-free, go to patreon.com slash still Potable. We got a gauntlet of games coming up for the Boston Celtics and still Potable. We were giving you game recaps after every single game. And so it's the best place for Celtics content. Please sign up today, patreon.com slash stillpotable. On the weekly free version, we like to do a little thing. It's been a while since we've engaged in a good old-fashioned potable six-pack. That's where the fellas and I draft the six most important or most interesting or just six things that we want to talk about when it comes to the Boston Celtics. Now, I believe I'm an eight-time winner of the potable six-pack this season. There was a little chicanery where B-Rob tried to introduce a voting system into the still potable chat. Um, but much like the All-Stars, that counted for uh, 25% of the vote. And then I get 75% of the vote. So I actually ended up winning that week, despite what the fans say. And because I won, I will go first this week. Then we'll go to B-Rob. Then we'll go to Jay. It's a snake draft, folks. Flip it back around for the second round. Then Jay, B-Rob, and myself. And so... For the first pick in this week's potable six pack, I'm going to play the role of the Debbie Downer. Maybe normally this is the B Rob role of the podcast. He's a little bit more negative than Jay and I. But in January, the Celtics playing against contenders are one in five with a negative 57 point differential. And this includes a horrendous loss to the Clippers and a horrendous loss to the Bucks. But B-Rob, cause for concern that the Celtics, you know, when they play a tough team, they basically, they they can't get a win. One in five in the month of January. Not so good. Why so negative, Packard? What's wrong with you? This is just... I, I just, I calls them as I see them. One in five is not a good record. Negative 57 point differential is not a good point differential against the top teams in this league. That's fair. And yeah, the, like the, the Clippers and the Bucks losses... Uh, there's really no defending that the Clippers loss on Saturday night. That's as bad as this team has looked all season long. 
I don't know whether it was just too many nights in South Beach this week or just uh, the Clippers. A lot being, of nights in South Beach. A lot of nights. A lot of action in South Beach there. Um, but in the Clippers, that's one of the best teams in the NBA right now, period. You know, that was uh, uh, it showed in that matchup there. But I, I'm not I'm not going to take much out of that game individually yet. And in that stretch that you referred, Packard, I'm going to I'm going to wait and see about that. Front. Yes, there are. You know, you want to win all those games, but this is games like Saturday night and losses outside of the Bucks game. They've all been competitive. They've all been right there. And this has been a gauntlet of a schedule for this team through January, um, both home and road. And so based off of that, Jay, I'm, I'm still thinking that Joe Masula still has to feel pretty good about where this group is right now and certainly isn't too alarmed about, you know, th- some ugly losses to the, the Clippers and the Bucks the last couple of weeks. Yeah, to me, those are those are just random. Like, they just didn't have it nights. A- every team is going to have them. If the not, not the more concerning because I don't think it was a concerning loss either. Although people lost their stuff, the the one the loss to the Nuggets was that was a real loss. <laughs> like they, they they had it, they played well, they were engaged, they defended at a really high level, and they scored two points over the last four minutes. That was a real loss. The one in Milwaukee, I think you could just blame the schedule on that one. Five games and seven nights. The Thunder, one... the Pacers, all the top teams. This is it's weird for me to go this negative. I've never really done that before. <laughs> Are the Pacers really a top ten team? I just said top team. I I stole this uh, this stat from just a, a clearly a Celtics hater on Twitter, and I didn't really fact check what the parameters were. I don't know why the Pacers count as a top team and the Heat don't, but maybe the Heat's the one win they're referring to. Who knows? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I, I just – I don't think it's a lot to be concerned about. Very consistent on both. Had an absolute stinker against the Clippers. It was – the offense was disgusting. I thought they got really good shots early. Drew Holiday missed a lot of them. Jalen Brown <laughs> missed a lot of them. And then they just kind of, for one of the first times this season, just let go of the rope and stopped trying to execute, stopped trying to get back on defense, stopped trying to do all those things. It was ugly. And the Clippers are one of the few teams that can kind of match them physically with the length and the athleticism and having defenders just about everywhere in their rotation. There aren't many teams like that. And the Celtics seems like they've they've really taken pride in that lately after they beat the Mavericks pretty handily on the road. Jalen Brown said, you know, two-way player. It's tough to be a two-way player. Uh, last night before... Getting, it's tough to be in shape. <laughs> yeah. Last night before getting drubbed, Joe Mazzulla said, you know, he got asked about the scoring explosion around the league and just kind of pivoted to saying, yeah, well, what I care about is that we defend, our best players defend, and that separates us from just about anyone else. The Clippers are in that category with the Celtics. So they're a really good team, and that was a really good test, and Celtics weren't up to it on that night, but I I don't think that's I wouldn't judge the Celtics on their worst nights is is how I'll put it. 
the Celtics, uh, they heard everyone complaining about having too much scoring in the NBA. And they said, oh, we're not going to make, we're going to score seven points for the first eight minutes of the third quarter and just completely botch this game. Are you just going to steal a Coley Mick joke straight off Uh, the Twitter account or or what? Are you going to give him credit at least? I, th- I knew you would jump in and give him credit, so uh, I, I was just setting you up there. That's called teamwork. All right, just just wanted to make sure. Uh, I think it was interesting from Joe Mazzulla's press conference after the game last night. He talked. <laughs> I don't know if it's just like coach speaker. He's framing it, but he's like talking about dealing with the adversity, but the adversity of winning big in Miami and how they respond to that, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. It was just like you need to be able to win after you were like, thinking you're playing your best basketball. And I especially think that that's true in the playoffs and it's like with the Celtics in the playoffs, the Celtics in the playoffs, I can't remember them winning like two games in a row. Um, <laughs> it's just not something that I guess they wins like a game six and then a do or die game seven, but it's pretty like they really go back and forth. And so I just thought the idea of cool is like, you need to learn how to respond to when you have the best night you've ever had shooting the basketball and then still come in with the intensity that you need to beat a team like the Clippers. Clearly, the Celtics did not have it, um, but I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting nugget from Missoula postgame. Um, you know, it's always fun to be in a postgame when a team gets absolutely drubbed by, like, 40 points. Uh, we even got Jason Tatum speaking in his full jersey, just ready to get the p- press conference out of the way and um, not answering a single question that was asked, just speaking immediately in cliches. I thought that was pretty entertaining. It, it's it's funny that you brought up the the playoff thing with like winning two games in a row because Joe brought that up to the team like a couple weeks ago, and he he listed a, I guess a bunch of like narratives on on the screen during one of their film sessions or one of the talks, whatever. And he said, basically, these are crutches you can use. These are excuses you can use to not have your best effort. And he showed the dog days of January was one of the examples. And Lou Cornette said one of the examples was going up to nothing in a playoff series. Like human nature is just to relax. And and Joe told the guys, like, we have to be at our best. Like, there's no excuse not to be at our best during those moments. So that is something. I don't know if working on is the right word because it's hard to work on that, but they're very aware of of the human nature and are trying to fight against it. Though they did not do a good job against Los Angeles. But we'll see how they respond against how what what about the narrative of having your best game of your season followed up by your worst game of the season? Was that on the board? That was that their worst game of the season? It was worse than Milwaukee, wasn't it? Yeah, because they actually tried in the second half. So I think that makes it worse. Yeah, two versus three quarters. Yeah. But how bad would the Milwaukee game have gotten if the starters had played in the second half? We'll never know. And that's the good thing about getting blown out. I'm stealing one of my own tweets now. Almost like you know, it never happened. Uh, Maybe Adrian don't... Griffin would still have his job. That's another <laughs> thing. Wild right stuff on. here. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. Huge fan of Super Bowl Sunday. It's the one moment we still have in culture where everyone's watching the same thing. Everyone's going to be talking about it the next day, whether it's the halftime show or the actual game. Or if you're like me and you're really sweating out bets on, you know, how long the national anthem will go or 
um, Lamar Jackson touchdowns. You can do all stuff like that on FanDuel because FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a dub. Now, you can bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has uh, touchdown props, props for how many points will be scored, and so much more. New customers, if you join today, you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com Boston to sign up. That's FanDuel.com Boston. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 and plus and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. B-Rob, your second pick in the Potable Six-Pack. And this is based off of last night and Thursday night here. Christos Porzingis obviously has an angle injury now, but just based on his impact in those games specifically, it seemed like. I'm wondering now, just in general, like, where does he rank in the most important Celtics right now on this team in terms of like certainly postseason success? And in my mind, especially against a team like the Heat, it's like he's propelling up to potentially number two here in the uh, in a pretty deep list of of candidates there for this team, just in terms of the impact he's having offensively. I see that we saw in Miami versus the bag of their expulsors tricks on Thursday night. And then concurrently on a night Saturday against the Clippers, they obviously probably, I don't think he's worth 22 points in that game for the Celtics to get back in. But at the same time, when the shots aren't falling from three, the Celtics aren't getting the offensive glass at all. They're not getting pretty much any easy looks anywhere. Um, when Al Horford looks kind of, you know, like a 37 year old Al Horford one night, in my mind, it makes me, wow, this is like, we know he was big, but like he might even be becoming bigger than we imagine your Packard. So what where where do you rank him amongst the most important Celtics, at least against elite teams at this point? I think it's two. Like he does so much for them. And but like most importantly, I think as we saw in the Heat series, he just has the giving him the ball or he like on offense is like the answer that they didn't have to a lot of like the kind of I'll call them junk heat defenses uh, and just giving them an option on the inside. Someone who can post up, um, I think just changes a lot of what their potential is. He's the biggest in terms of, I guess, floor and ceiling raiser. Like he uh, is so important to just making their offense so dynamic. And I think he's their, obviously their best rim protection um, and is very key to their versatility. I just like the ability that they can, go smaller with certain lineups and then they can play double big with him and Horford. Uh, I think if you take him out of the lineup, I don't know. Is, is this too much of an embrace nuance? He his, He's most important just to exist and to be healthy on the court. I think that once he's there, the way that other guys play is probably more important and more conducive to the Celtics winning. Um, but just in terms of availability, he's number one in terms of importance. Um, 
and I don't know if that answer makes a lot of sense, but it made sense in my head, and I'm going to pivot to Jay King in case it didn't. He's the key for them. And I, I don't mean that in the sense of, like, he's their best player, but he unlocks things. And that Heat game, they tried a lot of different stuff. They tried switching. They tried drop covers. They tried different. They tried Jimmy Butler on Kristaps, just switching the matchups. Kristaps had an answer for everything. The Celtics had an answer for everything. He just makes the game so much easier when he's out there. The reads are so much easier. The Celtics through the season have gotten much, much better at actually using him and diagnosing together what teams are doing against him and using that against opponents. I don't know if there's a good way to guard the Celtics when Kristaps Porzingis is on the court. They're a lot easier to guard, even though their offensive numbers have been ridiculous regardless. I think they're 10-3 and now with Kristaps Porzingis out of the lineup, which is still a fantastic number. They still are like plus eight net rating without Kristaps Porzingis for the season. So they can work without him, but it just feels like there's a way to muck them up without him. And and that doesn't really exist when he's on the court or it hasn't really existed except for very brief two or three minute stretches. I I just think he's he's as important as it gets. He solves a lot of their issues. And as they see more w- coverages with him, against him, as they go through that, I think they're just going to learn how to beat all those because they do have answers for, for just about everything. But it's, it's interesting. Like, he's shooting, thirty what, 35% from three? Like, clearly down from where he was a couple years ago, averaging less points. You're right, Jay, that he's the key and that he unlocks and makes their, like, just much more dangerous. But I don't necessarily see him coming into a postseason or a playoff series and being like, he's the guy who's going to get you 30 points every single night. He certainly has that potential, but, but I think like the. But, but he's the guy who takes away some of the switching coverages yeah. that can muck up the Celtics. Like the heat switched very minimal times because two minutes into that game, Jalen Brown and Chris Osworzingas ran a pick and roll and bam switched on to Jalen. And all they did was throw over the top of Haywood Highsmith and Chris Osworzingas got an easy, easy bucket. It was that easy. <laughs> and it's never that easy because he, it was that easy. So, so that to me why, is why his impact transcends his traditional stat numbers. It transcends his points per game. You can't do some of the things you used to be able to do against the Celtics. You can't do some of the things the Clippers were able to do against the Celtics. Because if you do, Celtics can just throw it in there and he has just obliterated mismatches in the post all season long. Yeah, he just he commands that respect. Whether he's putting up 30 points or not, like, A, teams can't leave him at the three-point line even though he's shooting just 35% to your point record. And like Jay said, just the mismatch when he gets the free-throw line or below, that's just automatic easy points. And the Celtics are getting better at finding out when it's out there. And so, yeah, like the on a night like Saturday night where a lot's not going well on the perimeter, like that could have been an easy outlet for them, maybe gotten their offense on track. But when he's not out there, it looks a lot like it did the second half of last season where it's just the shots aren't falling. There's really not a lot of 
easy alternatives to get the offense going. And that's uh that's what Brad Stevens tried to fix for this season. And we'll see again if it's when he's if he's healthy when it matters most, that's obviously gonna be as big as anything for this group um as the season goes on. Speaking of Brad Stevens, I saw him last night. He still knows my name, so oh wow, cool. That's pretty cool. Big um, day. Big Did he call you Jam or Sam? Sam. I I feel real real weird if he called me Jam. Um, Jay, you have the pick, the third pick in the potable six pack. So we're doing from this week, right? Jay. There's sometimes no you switch up the rules. Sometimes you switch up the rules and sometimes, you go full season. Sometimes you sometimes just... there are no rules and you can just say whatever you want because it's your podcast. Jalen Brown's performance against Dallas. I just loved the way he played against Dallas. He was picking up Luka Doncic full court. He was attacking Luka. He got pretty nasty about Luka after the game <laughs> saying basically like it's it it's hard to to play like that to play both ways to to pick up and score and do all those things unless you're in great shape <laughs> which seems like a shot at luca he, he didn't didn't say it was a shot at luca didn't didn't explicitly state that but it sure seemed like a shot at luca and i i just thought if he plays like that with the intensity then that's that separates the Celtics because he's just at a different level defensively now. He he's taking on the challenges. He you know the Miami game too. Jimmy Butler's first touch. Jalen Brown is in his shorts, seventy five feet away from the basket, making him work to dribble the ball up court. All that stuff matters, and it's really hard to do that every night. But but Jalen has found a way to to find that energy most of the time. I didn't think he really had it against the Clippers. I thought there were opportunities when he could have picked up James Harden and made things more difficult for that offense, made it tougher for them to get into things. But for the most part, Jalen has has really, really, really taken that challenge. He was bad against the Clippers. Oh, man, he was bad. <laughs> so the shot he took when he just drove to the left and... I don't know what he was doing. He just kind of launched up some nonsense. Didn't even come close. He and Drew Holiday did some kind of baffling things in that Clippers game, but but that's okay because my my pick here was was the Dallas game when when Jalen was just doing everything right. Yeah, it was it was almost jarring just how bad he was in that Clippers game because he has been so good for the last I'd say two months I mean he had the kind of a rocky start to the season but it's been consistent that solid on both ends of the floor along with like bringing up his games and like times like we saw in that Dallas matchup you mentioned so it is it's and you know this team is going to have stinkers here and there but the fact that his consistency has been where it's at and you know on both ends of the floor is huge for this group and um, especially after the contract he was given here for him to just like still propel himself up another level um, afterwards, despite having to kind of make himself fit in around a bunch of new parts here um, as the supporting cast and really just building like probably the best connection with Porzingis that anyone on the team right now, that's, that's again, bodes really well for this group. When you look at, um, you know, especially as the schedule lightens up here, he might be able to really just thrive even more. Yeah. I mean, the power of 
cookies and cream, uh, I think is pretty, pretty dynamic. Um, I also just want to mention, we're talking about that Jalen performance in Dallas, um, him calling for the video replay person to be fired. I thought was fantastic. I thought <laughs> calling for another man's job is h- hilarious when they're showing the replay of you dropping, uh, Luka Doncic to the floor. Um, I thought that was fun. And so did you so guys see the fall up on that, by the way? I think Tim McMahon, I want to say on the Hoop Collective podcast, said the reason that replay was shown was Mark Cuban called for it from the floor because he thought it was a push off in real time. So Mark apparently. Cuban should be fired. So, oh, so I don't know if he called for it or he was calling for a review of the play. Right. Or and, exactly. So he, he made an indication that, that he wanted to see a replay. Yeah, right. Like, and, and then thought it must have been a foul. And, uh, it was that interpretation by the Jumbotron operator. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta know on those ones. Hey, man. If the owner of the team is doing the review sign, I'm, I'm running that video every single time. The, the best employees are willing to stand up for their own stance. No I matter. never said I was the best employee. <laughs> I said <laughs> I was a coward to the billionaire who signs my paychecks. Sometimes you got to say no. Welcome back to Still Potable, the best Boston Celtics podcast. If you want more, go to patreon.com slash still potable. Become a kid, a god, or a legend today. Again, we got three Great games this week, and we will be having recaps after all of them. And if you want to listen to those, patreon.com slash stillpotable. We are midway through the potable six-pack. We've made three great picks, some of us better than others. Um, But we'll head into the back half, the back nine, with Jay King, your pick in the second round. I'm going to go with the Celtics. They're they're the pride that they've shown in in being a two-way club and Joe Mazzulla's recent uh, trend of not wanting to speak about opponents' players. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he, it's kind of funny. Like, he came into the press conference after the Spurs game and announced, like, I, I do not want to talk about Victor Wimuyama. Don't ask me any questions about him. And it wasn't disrespectful. He wasn't meaning to be disrespectful to Weminyama. He just genuinely doesn't want to answer questions about a player on the other team, which is kind of annoying as as a writer who sometimes needs quotes about players on the other team. But we asked him about it. He was asked about it in, in Miami, and he said basically – I have everything I need to win in this locker room. I want to talk about the 17 guys on my team. I don't really care about what's going on with anybody else. And that's kind of a it's he's got an attitude this year. He he's got an attitude. The Celtics have an attitude. They have made comments recently kind of shitting on other teams for their best players not playing defense. <laughs> and I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for it. It, it kind of reminds me of a far watered down version of Michael Malone in the playoffs last season when Michael Malone was just taking shots at D'Angelo Russell. He was just telling it like it was. He was say, proclaiming for everyone to hear that the media wasn't talking enough about the Nuggets. When the Nuggets won game one, but Rui Achimura guarded Jokic 
kind of well at the end of like what was otherwise a, a blowout game. He said, you know, I don't know why you guys are talking about that when we won the game. <laughs> like, you guys are all talking about this stupid adjustment when Nikola Jokic is not going to be guarded by Rui Hachimura, guys. Like, this is not going to work long term. And to me, Michael Malone did all of that because he knew that his team was going to just kick ass. He had total faith that his team was going to mutilate every opponent. He did not care about ruffling somebody else's feathers because at the end of the day, his team was going to cash his checks. And the way that the Celtics are talking kind of reminds me of that. I don't know if it's if they quite have the same belief that Malone did in his team. I don't know if they will pay off that belief at the end of the day, but they're getting spicy. They're getting a little spicy, and they're getting proud, and you can tell they're just like peacocking a little bit. And maybe they peacock too much, and that's why they got drubbed by the Clippers. <laughs> but but it's an interesting trend that they're kind of they're becoming a little bit more prickly and a little bit like like just pounding their chest, let, letting everyone know that they're pretty fucking good. Yeah, I mean, it's a situation where I think Joe's just leaning into his personality even more. Like, this is what he is, and he's getting more comfortable in himself from that standpoint. But I'm with you, Jay. I think it's it's refreshing. It's not it's not great for our jobs as journalists, like you said. But at the same time, from a entertainment perspective, from just a real-life perspective in terms of showing just how competitive these guys are, like, yeah, of course you don't want to, like, you know, praise Kawhi and Paul George or, for kicking your ass. Like, no. Or praise a, a rookie phenom who hasn't done anything yet in Wemby like yeah like I don't want to talk about those guys I don't want to degrade our own guys it's obviously in the game of NBA coaching media like I feel like the opposite side of the spectrum is done by most guys so Missoula's he's zagging a little bit and it's it's fun to see progress in real time Packard I feel like this is him at his most comfortable like last year he's like still trying to navigate how to be the head coach of the Celtics but I feel like kind of the the cocky Borderline cocky, arrogant, but like very confident coach is like probably what you would have seen from Joe Missoula when he was coaching his D2 teams and like driving the van to away games, like just like really talking up his fellas. And then he just kind of had to take a step back. It's kind of wild just to refuse to talk about the players on the other team. Like, what does he think the post game press conference is for other than to talk about the guys who played in the game? And if you can't, if you just like are unable, like, you guys should just start asking about like Lamar Stevens every single game. If he's going to refuse to ask like, or answer questions about guys on the other team. Cause if he only wants to focus on one through 17, he's got to answer the questions. If you like ask him, like, what do you think Kata's like energy was on the bench, uh, on the bench tonight? Do you think he was like really enthusiastic enough about the fellas? Um, Cause then it fits in his system of, of talking about uh, only the Boston Celtics. It's a wild move from Joe Missoula, but I think the more we've gotten to know Joe Mazzula, he's a pretty wild guy. He's a pretty he likes to march to the beat of his own drum, and so I'm I generally for anything that gets more of Mazzula's personality coming out. What was the T-shirt he was the other day? Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus coffee and jujitsu. Yeah, that's got to be a custom-made T-shirt. I don't think they're mass-producing that for the world. I think that's a very specific to one guy and his interests. I mean, I'm sure there are other people who like Jesus coffee and jujitsu, but, but he's definitely, 
chief among those. <laughs> um, the most prominent. Among the, yeah. the lovers, yeah. The, uh, I, it really, though, like, it, it, this is all kind of a lighthearted topic, not, not the most serious thing. But I do believe this year he's done a better job of embracing his own personality and embracing all the things that make him special. Like he's a maniac. He's a, he's a crazy (laughs) competitor. He's, he's the type of guy who's going to challenge a call while up 27 with three minutes left. And, and he's not backing down from any of that this year. And I think because of that, and because now he's preaching, you know, the need for defense, the need to be tough, the need to, grab offensive rebound, the need to do all these different things, and then kind of being a maniac on top of it. To me, that that's helped the Celtics take on that mindset, that mentality. They are a team that's that's like their coach. And and I don't think they were last year. Like that wasn't the most physically tough team last year. That wasn't the most mentally tough team this year. And it sounds really misguided to say this after the, the Clippers loss. But but I think when you look at the the longer term of of what they've done this year, they've still only lost consecutive games twice. This is a team that's that's tough, kind of a little crazy. They don't really say too much provocative, but but they want to kick your ass and they want to have fun doing it. And that's Joe Missoula. B Rob. Your pick. I want. We're gonna go do some Luke Cornette talk here. Ooh, it's a stole my fresh pick. haircut. Stole my pick. Oh wow, wow. That's a Zeller. That is not a Cornette. That is a Zeller. Yeah, that's a Zeller. Yeah. First of all, this is a haircut. I mean, I'll just get general thoughts on the haircut from everyone. Um, high and tight. You know, that's a haircut you can set your watch to. He looks more like a Zeller than the Zellers. I. It's. It's crazy that one haircut can transform him into a seller. I uh, I have no other. Response. It's crazy to me for him to get a haircut after he has one of his most dominant offensive performances of the season in Miami. It feels like you keep that hair, but maybe that's just the mentality of Luke Cornett. He doesn't believe in the superstition of a haircut affecting your game. Um, so I thought it was a bold move. Um, I don't know. I didn't really see the haircut. I only I was up on level nine, so I just saw it from that vantage point. Yeah, Jay's right. Um, funny that he accuses me of stealing a Coley McTweet and then steals a Coley McTweet and then doesn't give credit. I quote tweeted him. What are you talking about? Cole in the, by in this, very in this, in this podcast. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. First of all, I said that before he tweeted it. I looked at Steve Hewitt and I said he's a zealot. I don't have a record of that. You can, you can talk to Steve Hewitt. I don't want to talk to Steve Hewitt. He's no, no, obsessed no. with college basketball, and it's weird. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that Providence game that he covered yesterday looked like high intensity, high energy. I didn't realize they hated Nonsense. that Cooley guy so much. Quite a bit, yeah. Well, I, Back when I went to go uh, BC basketball camp as a youth, Cooley was Al Skinner's main assistant. He ran the camp, and so he was the one talking to us every day. He was the man. I love that guy. That guy made me pumped and jacked to do uh eagle drills uh or whatever couldn't teach you how to shoot yeah no that i blame him for that too <laughs> <laughs> all right back to luke cornett the haircut 
mixed opinions. The play on the floor, even oh, I was of the mind with Luke Cornett this year, fine regular season, decent depth piece, but ultimately you want to get another guy in here when Porzingis or Al inevitably get hurt and may not have to play for a few games in the postseason run. You just want to have an alternative there. And we're at a point at like game 50 or guys where I might just be coming over to the other side and being like, you know what? Luke's probably the best you're going to get in that spot with the limitations they have. And he's playing well. He's playing well against good teams. He was probably like the second best player against the Clippers Saturday night in that first half. And that blowout was just with offensive rebounds and running the floor clearly has his limitations. Um, clearly certain matchups. You're not going to want him out there for that. He's going to be picked on, but between that, between the performance of Miami, where I feel like he was just a, a nice boost off the bench, um, played really well against Houston as well when Porzingis was out. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the over the other side now. I mean, they should spend their resources elsewhere because it's, it's hard to find like a reasonable upgrade to what Cornette's giving you at this point. I think they need to, like, if they need to make a move or bring someone in, I think it's going to be at the wing position. Um, Largely because Brad Stevens said it would be a big wing. Well, I thought they do both. I mean, both is where I think they have they have two moves to make here if they want to. Wing is obviously number one. To someone to try and compete with Sam Hauser for the minutes, I was on NBA.com the other day, as one does, just scrolling around the best, you know, two-man, three-man, four-man lineups on the Celtics. And I was shocked to see how many of, like, the top ones with net ratings who actually have played, like, a decent amount of minutes – Peyton Pritchard and Luke Cornett's name are, are up there a bunch. Uh, and I feel like they've been really solid uh, in terms of what they've given to the Celtics off the bench this year. It feels like Hauser, I don't want to say he's fallen off, but he just feels like he's made less of an impact. He he's, feels like he's had a lot of like two for eight games off the bench shooting from three. And um, it's not like he's been bad, uh, but I do think that if – if I had to rank kind of the Celtics bench right now, I think Hauser would come in at number nine. And so if they're going to go out and make a move in the next, when's the trade deadline? The eighth. So like basically about a week, week and a half yeah. away from the trade deadline, it's trying to someone to uh, come in and kind of threaten those Hauser minutes. It's going to be hard because I don't think you're going to be able to uh, get a guy who's as good defensively as Hauser or approaches his three point shooting. Like, we see they just have a bunch of wings on the roster who can do one or the other. And so I think Hauser right now is the best mix of them. But I just was impressed by how well, I think statistically, at least, and just in terms of those net rating and those lineups, how well Pritchard and Cornette have been um, impacting the game. That being said, like a lot of those lineups that they're in also came with Jason Tatum and Drew Holiday on the court. And so it's not like those two guys are dominating games but i think they're playing their role uh very well uh and i think if there is a spot to upgrade it's it's the big wing you know spot that you know brad brad and i were talking about in the uh in td garden last night the other part about getting another wing is in case pritchard just isn't big enough for a certain playoff matchup just in case another team is able to successfully hunt him and use his size against the Celtics and play him off the court. Because I I do believe as well as he's played, that's a possibility with with certain teams, some of the some of the jumbo teams out there. So 
it, it won't necessarily happen. He's shown a lot of competitiveness, a lot of toughness in those matchups. He's, you know, it's it's fun to watch him try to guard, you know, Kawhi or whoever else, Jimmy Butler sometimes, like just some of those bigger guys. It's fun to see him dig in and try to give them hell. But, but I think just a little bit more perimeter depth so that you have one more guy that that might be better than O'Shea Brissett in your pecking order. That that's it. And I think Hauser's Hauser's good. Hauser's going to be a playoff rotation staple. I just I just think one more guy. And I I'm, I I agree with you. The self the center position is good. If anything, they might want to get somebody who's a little switchier than yeah. Cornette. Um, although he. You know what? He, he does a really good job of guarding guards and especially guards who can't shoot. He's just super diligent about the scatter report and forcing guys into trying to do something that they're not great at. So and they, they don't shout really, out to Luke Cornette or, or Luke Zeller. They don't really switch with him because they just know that like that's not a thing. Like they're so much more comfortable throwing Horford out there on a switch. But in playing the position, like Luke Cornett's, I feel like just like you said, reading the scouting report, it's like, okay, I'll just go up and like be at the level here and then get back. He's just, he slows guys down in a way. And so I think you're limited in the defenses you can play. Obviously, you're not going to switch everything with Luke Cornett, but I think he just does the assignment very well and knows what he's doing out there. And so I'm comfortable with Luke Cornett being the third big man heading into a playoff series. And I'll, I'll, I'll plant a flag in that. I'm on Luke Cornett Island with or without the haircut. I prefer him without the haircut because I want him to craft good, his own. Good story by B-Rob, though, getting Daniel Tice to say that he got recruited by uh, some of the Celtics players. Is this true? You had a one-on-one yeah, with Tice. Little, yeah, a little game. talk to Daniel last night. Just wanted to see what the deal was. And, uh, yeah, he was like, Jason and Jalen talked to him. But uh, that, that sweet Clippers playing time was calling his name because – I think it was Plumlee got hurt, and so they clearly just they just had no bigs. Um, so he was gonna get 15 minutes right away. And good old Luke Cornett's playing too well here, along with Al Horford and Porzingis. So he uh did not uh decide to go to Boston, but they were the, the all stars were looking for him. It's crazy to me that he just was not getting any playing time at all in Indiana. Right? Is good. It makes no sense. And um, yeah, he was sorry about it, but good, good, good on him, good on his agent for getting out of there, you know, early there when. I don't know whether they just negotiated that buyout once the Clippers guy got hurt and then they just made that call and said, all right, give up all your money. We're going to take you here. But it's worked out well for him. He looked great last night. And yeah, that would have been, that's probably the guy that you could argue would be the upgrade over Cornette if they could have gotten him, but um, they didn't. And so now we're they're where they are. I just like the idea that B were B Rob as a network of guys who must check in with B Rob when they come to town. It's Tice, Jarebko. Wanamaker. Wanamaker, if he would be coming to town, I'd be definitely talking with him. Tice has given me great stuff this year. Tice went off on the Pacers when he was there um, during that game. And then, yeah, last night, you know, the people love Tice. I mean, I was a big Tice guy when I was here. So I'll. I'm, He's an enticing guy. <laughs> Boo. 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 All right. Last pick. This is a tough one. I was going to go negative again, but that feels bad. Um, Do it. I'll just say honorable mention. Honorable mention. 
can Derek White be a little bit more consistent scoring the basketball? Um, and like there's a lot of talk about him. The JJ Reddick curse. Yeah, there's the JJ Reddick curse, but like I know like Dallas they won, but he's there's a lot of games more recently on his if you look at his game log where it's like seven points, nine points, six points here. I yeah, like only 15. Like, I don't know. Uh, I said I wasn't going negative, so that's just an honorable mention. I don't want to talk about, uh, you know, people not scoring. We are a basketball podcast, and I feel like we would be remiss not to talk about just the week that was in terms of scoring in the NBA. You had Joel Embiid, 70. You had Luka, 72, was it? You had Carl Anthony Towns with over 60 points in a loss. Devin Booker with over 60 points in a loss. Just some crazy feats of strength, some scoring. People talking about this is bad for the NBA. People don't play defense anymore. I think that's poppycock. I want more people scoring 70. Um, I want more people scoring 70 and then refusing to play in Denver because they're cowards. Um, I just, I think it's awesome. I think it's been like a very, very entertaining uh past couple of weeks in the NBA exactly what they need to be doing as the the NFL season kind of um comes down but I was curious like what your guys reaction was to this scoring explosion that's taken over the league B Rob what was your thoughts you know seeing so many guys go for I think we saw a stat that two guys have gone for over 60 five times in the NBA on the same night and twice two of those times were in this past week that's kind of insane yeah I'm, I'm with you though. I'm for it. Like long season, regular season basketball, um, scoring a lot of points. is fun. It's why pretty much all I like where you're like NFL, NBA, whatever, like any kind of changes have gone towards the offense's way because that's more entertaining basketball than a 70, 68 slug fest, um, that we saw, you know, a lot of 15, 20 years ago, but Lucas crazy, you know, Booker, obviously Embiid. It's like, it's pretty good stuff. I don't know, like maybe Towns was objectively the the funniest one though. Right, the t- exactly. And that, that's the best because part. Of it. That's such a good point. He had sixty two points, and then they didn't play him for all of crunch time, and then his coach basically just shitted on him in the post game press conference after he scored sixty two points. It was incredible, and they lost to the Hornets. Gave up, I believe it was like an 18-point lead shortly before the fourth quarter. It was magical. Magical to have 62 and still be the target of your coach's rant after the game. It's just magical. And we Anthony like Edwards. That. And Anthony Edwards just being like, Yeah, we were totally immature. Towns was points hunting. We got out of it, everything we we're trying to do. It's called out by everyone pretty much in the locker room. Didn't I think Chris Finch had to come back like two days later is like I was so sorry, Carl. I should have celebrated your 62 points more, but I was furious in the moment because we just lost to the Hornets. Which is reasonable. Totally reasonable. <laughs> it, it was hilarious, though. The, uh, the the thing to me about all these scoring explosions is it's just so hard to guard teams these days because every player in the on the court has to be skilled. Almost every player on the court can shoot three-pointers, which makes it so hard 
to guard, it makes it so hard to double team. Like if you double team Luca, you're just saying somebody else is going to have an open three, and we hope that he misses an open three because Luca's going to make the right play, and you're kind of screwed no matter what you do. Uh, so uh, it's just it's impossible to guard teams these days. Certain teams don't do a good job of it at all. The bottom defenses are just horseshit this year. The the Hawks, the Hornets, the Wizards, the I don't the I don't even know who else, but the bottom of the league, the defenses are just so so ill-equipped. Portland to guard, yeah, Portland, so ill-equipped to guard the best attacks and it it's really hard to guard these days. Like everybody has hitters everywhere and it's it's fun to watch probably not as fun to defend but the the talk about like there's no defense i don't think that's the case at all i think guys have to work harder defensively than ever before because you have to guard every inch of the court and and if you're a little late on a rotation you're gonna get burned it was a lot easier when guys were trying to shoot like 14 foot jump shots (laughs) and you didn't have to guard nearly as much of the court you didn't have to be running around chasing Steph Curry or whoever, you know, nearly half court. It's just, it's hard to play defense now. It actually think I makes it defense more important because you need to be in the top like echelon of the league. If you're going to like compete, like the Pacers have the best offense in the league, uh, uh, pretty much an average defense. I don't like, I think there'll be a fun playoff story, but I don't think they're going to win a playoff series. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks just fired their head coach. They had the second best offense in the league, uh, but they had the 10th best defense and it just wasn't good enough. And so I think it makes it like, yes, scoring is, uh, I guess, easier at this point. You just have many more talented players, but it, like that much more valuable to have a team that can somewhat slow teams down. And I think we saw that with the Clippers last night. I think we see that at night in, night out with the Celtics. Um, but just ha- it makes defense that m- more important because – if you are a team that can slow a team down, especially in the half court, especially in the playoffs, um, I just think it makes your playoff chances, your ultimate uh, hopes of a championship that much more likely. And it's why I think the Celtics are in a pretty good uh, spot here because especially when they have their full lineup in, they're one of the teams that can drop. I don't think anyone, what do you think is the most anyone on the Celtics is going to score this year? Has it already happened? Uh, what's the season high this year? Jalen did Jalen 45. Get- They've they've had two forty five balls. I don't think they're talented. I think they're not singularly focused enough on one guy for any one guy to get up to uh, seventy. Because when they're really scoring, whoa, uh, they uh, share the ball and everyone shoots threes. But I do think. <laughs> now my microphone fell over. I uh, caught. I back back to Derek White though. Oh, He's... you want to go negative? <laughs> He's shooting 38% in January after just an unbelievable, flawless December. He's he's really come back down to earth offensively, efficiency-wise. And and on nights when when he and Drew Holiday both aren't shooting well, it it, it makes it tougher for Jason Tatum, for Jalen Brown. The uh teams are gonna cause because you there aren't really holes in the Celtics starting lineup so teams are going to do funky stuff like 
like Denver did with throwing Nikola Jokic on Drew Holiday. And the Celtics are going to have to figure stuff like that out. It's going to be important for them that Holiday and Derek White both serve as scoring options, especially when teams try to junk it up like that. Yeah, it kind of looks like Spurs Derek White this month. The guy that had a ton of potential, but also was just inconsistent, especially, you know, particularly inside the arc this month. He's still shooting, I think, 35% from three, but 38% from the field. JJ Reddick uh, curse, man. It's it's lingering. It's a real it thing. Like, so would making the All-Star game be bad for him? It seems like anytime he gets a little bit of uh, hype or publicity, then he starts playing. I think the, the All-Star game stuff is probably probably out the door. Do you think Chris Stapps was going to make the All-Star game? Now I mean, it might not be. I could be wrong, but but he has not had the best last See, month. Injury replacement. That'd be uh, probably his best chance. Um, probably for, honestly, both those guys. I bet. Who's well, We'll finish on this. Who's more deserving of an All-Star team, Chris Stapps, Rosingas, or Derek White? Ooh. Derek White. He's played yeah, I'm gonna say White. way more games. You're a big game. Been... You're a big games played guy. You just told me he shot 38% for all of January. That's that's your all-star. And you told me Chris Tapps Porzingis was the key to everything. It feels like you guys are talking out both sides of your mouth. It feels like Chris Tapps Porzingis has missed a lot of games, and Derek White doesn't miss games, and I value consistency and the extra value that Derek White has given the Celtics by being on the court basically every night. But Chris Tapps is the key to everything and is the most important player on the Celtics at the same time. Are you going to repeat that again? Just say it again. It's not, it's not the most important player game. It's the All-Star Say it a third time. Say it a third time. Chris Tapsporzingis is the most important player for the Celtics, but he's not an All-Star. I, I did not call the most important. I said he unlocks things. A key unlocks things. Yeah, you really, you really tap your patting yourself on the back for the key unlocks uh, little parlance or nomenclature you had there. That was pretty cool. Thank you. Appreciate you. He's pretty cool. Brian B. Rob Rob. The real question is Chris stops or bam. Bam. No. How many games has he played? That's a good question. Yeah, I think he, he was hurt at some point, but probably more than Chris stops. He's also lost six games in a row, though. So that's true. That's true. And we don't know the reserves until Thursday, but um when it happens, we'll react here next week for on the CLNS YouTube. But for every day in between, we are on patreon.com slash still potable. Best Celtics podcast Monday through Friday. You get Jay King from The Athletic. You get Brian B. Rob Rob from MassLive.com. And you get me from Still Potable. Thanks to everyone who's tuned in. Thanks to everyone who subscribes. They, I highly recommend going over to patreon.com slash still potable. Become a kid, god, or legend today. And you'll get content from us every day, Monday through Friday. Thanks, everyone, who watched to this episode of Still Potable.